This week on Cinemaholics, Sony has released their latest spider-themed adventure. This time it's animated, and this time our web-swinging hero is not Peter Parker, but instead Miles Morales. So this movie was really kind of made for me in a way. Later in the show, you'll also hear reviews for The Mortal Engines. Uh, but no, I, I think I was more excited for this film than you were. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Season 2. They're four of my favorite episodes of any series ever. And you'll hear some of our early reactions to Aquaman. I think they knew that this might be the only Aquaman movie we're ever going to get. All that and more is coming up, so sit back, relax, and pour one out for your friendly neighborhood Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for The Playlist, Cut Print Film, and more. It is Will Ashton. Hello. And I am the author of the novel Killer Joy, a book about Pixar called The Pixar Theory, and I occasionally write about culture and film for Relevant Magazine. I am John Agroni. He is our sound producer, as well as a far more casual moviegoer than Will and myself, and believe us when we say that is a compliment. It is Maverick Hines. Hello. And uh, joining us for our featured review this week, we have a special guest, Will Ashton. Why don't you do the honors and introduce our fourth chair? Sure. He is my co-host on my podcast, Ain't Ogre Toads Ogre, and one of my best friends in the whole wide world, and one of the biggest, most purest Spider-Man fans I know. It's Matt Serafini. Hello! That's a stunning introduction, Will. Thank you. (laughs) Sure thing, Matt. Looking forward to gauging Matt's uh, Spider-Man knowledge uh, later in this episode. Uh, But for now, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics on adamtickets.com. And you can support our show by becoming one of our patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. And also, exclusively for our patrons, Maverick and Will, I don't even know if you know the full rules that we're doing for this yet. Um, All you have to do uh, to win our holiday-themed giveaway this year is guess our top 10 lists. Uh, So we're each going to have a list of top 10 films that's going to be coming out later in the month. And so we're putting out to our patrons who's going to get the closest to what our picks are going to be. So whoever wins is going to receive a Blu-ray or digital release of their choice. Uh, Be sure to check out our posting on Patreon for more details. And again, this is a giveaway just for our monthly patrons. And you can find all that at patreon.com slash cinemaholics. I'm very curious to hear what everyone guesses. Uh, I actually put out a uh, a list yesterday that was a bit of a red herring with my my fake (laughs) top 10 list. I like that. It caused quite a stir. Um, I don't think that was a, a wise decision because a lot of people took it seriously and they found solidarity with me in some dishonest ways. So I apologize to anyone who's disenfranchised by that list. My name is Peter Parker. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. I saved the city, fell in love, then I saved the city again and again and again. Look, I'm a comic book, a serial, I did a Christmas album, and a so-so popsicle. But this isn't about me. Not anymore. Spider-Man swings in once a day, zip zaps up in his little mask and answers to no one. I love you, Miles. Yeah, I know, Dad. You gotta say I love you back. Dad, are you serious? I want to hear it. Look at this place. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. That's a copy. Uh, Will Ashton, what is our featured review this week, and what format were you able to see it in? Yeah, our main review for this week is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This is the new animated Sony film which is in some people's view yeah another spider-man film but i don't think that's how we're gonna feel about it uh it is from three directors i believe bob uh persichetti is that how you pronounce it i name? think it is so we apologize but yeah yeah <laughs> he did um i believe all right no the, peter ramsey the second director did 
Rise of the Guardians. Rise of the Guardians, yes. The 2012 animated film that yeah. probably should have won Best Animated Film that year at the Oscars, yeah. in my opinion. And then um, I think Rodney Rothman was also a director on this film, if I'm not mistaken. He was, yes. Yeah. And uh, he's been known not just as directors and a director and a producer. He's also been a screenwriter in the past, and he's produced a few yeah. films. And uh, I guess what seems weird about this is that most people look at it as a Phil Lore and Chris Miller film, which is understandable since they produced it and Phil Lore is involved with the screenplay, but it's not them directing. So if there's any confusion about that, let that confusion go out the door. Right. To be so. specific, Phil Lord, uh, like you said, co-wrote the film with Rodney Rothman, who we did mention this. He's also an author and Phil Lord has a story credit on this. So mm-hmm. apparently, yes, he did come up with the story. And since Christopher Miller, his partner is a producer on it, you can kind of imagine that their hands are all over this from the get go. Yeah. It definitely feels like a Phil Lord and Chris Miller production. So, so no offense to Peter Ramsey <laughs> and, and Bob who said, Ketty, I, they should get due credit for directing this yeah. film. But, uh, Yes. Yeah, so oh, uh, yeah. yeah, I saw it in a regular film presentation, not Dolby or anything. Forgot to mention that earlier. Ah, so. interesting. Yes. Uh, yeah, I saw it in a regular film presentation as well. But I know Maverick Hines, you saw it uh, in the Dolby, correct? I did see it in Dolby. Okay. I refused to see it in 3D because the 3D glasses give me a headache. <laughs> I think this is one of those movies though, that kind of forces you to watch it in 3D, whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> based well, on some of the I found the loophole and I exercised that right. <laughs> Um, let's go through the cast real quick, and then we're going to review this film. So the cast includes Shamik Moore, if you might remember from Dope uh, a couple of years ago. He was also in the that Netflix show that was a bit short-lived, The Get Down. Oh, love that show. Oz Lerman's, yeah. Uh, so uh, he voices Miles Morales, uh, the main character. Uh, you also have a couple of characters who voice all of the spider people in this film. Uh, there's Jake Johnson. There's Haley Steinfeld, who plays Spider-Gwen or Spider-Woman, as she's called in the film. Mahersha Ali, Brian Tyree Henry, Lily Tomlin, Luna Lauren Velez, John Mulaney, Kimiko Glenn, Nicolas Cage, and Liev Schreiber. Uh, so quite a cast and... You know, to get into the plot and the synopsis, Matt Serafini, we want to hear your thoughts on the film, but how would you describe this film without getting into any spoilers for the uninitiated? What is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse about, and what did you think? I guess Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is about uh, Miles Morales, who's a young Afro-Latino kid living in Brooklyn, and it's about how he comes to be the new Spider-Man. I guess that's like the really nutshell version of it, right? Is that... Exactly. Yeah, yeah no air dimensions. Away. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and well, I guess to add a little more detail, it's, it involves some Spider Men and women from other universes coming into the fray to help him learn what it takes, among other things. Well, I, I, I really, really, really liked this movie. I'm a really, really big fan of Spider Man, as Will said at the top of the show. And I've, I've been reading every Spider Man comic ever for the past three and a, three and a half years. It's a major part of my life. I've seen all six other movies many times. I'm also a huge fan of animation, so this movie was really kind of made for me in a way. But that being said, it, I would say it also makes me harder to please. Like John, I feel like you probably empathize with this, where you're a really big fan of Pixar, so you're probably going to like anything they do. But you're also a little harder to please than most people in terms of like for it being absolutely perfect. I'm just hard. Like I'm just hard to please with everything, Matt. That's uh, fair. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, uh, this movie passed the tests, and it really is something really special. It's it is literally like jumping into a comic book and seeing everything coming to life. The art style is just immaculate. I saw somebody say when they walked out of the theater, they said. This is probably what it was like to walk out of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. That might be a bit of a exaggeration, but 
I mean, I think the idea is there. Yeah, I, I really, really like this movie. It, it does so well with everything about Spider-Man. It, it, it's everything I love about the character boiled down in a nice format. Yeah, I don't know. How about you guys? Like, <laughs> <laughs> We just want you to do the entire review, though. So The entire review, um, just me. <laughs> we, did, we didn't mention this, but uh, this is actually a Sony production. This comes from Sony mm-hmm. Pictures, and Sony Imageworks did the animation, uh, which means this is part of Columbia. And Marvel Entertainment is one of the production companies that helped this, along with uh, Lord Miller Productions. So it, it is kind of interesting because Sony has had not the greatest track record with Spider-Man films in the last decade. I think just a couple of months ago, they put out my least favorite film of 2018, which is Venom. And so it is interesting. This this is a bit of a surprise in a lot of different ways, and that's certainly one of them for me. Maverick Hines, uh, you, you saw this one pretty fresh. Saw it last night. Just saw it last night, and uh, you saw this one with your wife. What did you both think of Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, well, I'll start with what she told me, um, which is, I love this movie. And that's about as analytical as that conversation got with her. Um, <laughs> I love the detail that she gets into. Yeah, I mean, she's she's a wizard, man. Um, <laughs> but no, for real, we, we both really had a, a great time with that. I, I will say that we benefited, f- like, so greatly from seeing it in Dolby. That was such a cool experience. The sound was... It was unreal. Like, I mean, that was probably the best Dolby viewing experience I've had yet. Granted, I've only had like five or six. You know, it's not a huge... Better than night school. I didn't see night school, so... (laughs) I did in Dolby. I just had to remind You saw night school in Dolby? (laughs) Why not? That's great. What? (laughs) A-list, baby. That's That's right. You've got the A-list. You don't scare him. Wow. Yeah. That was distractingly weird. Um... (laughs) So she had a really good time. She liked it. We talked about it all the uh, you know car ride home. Um, I I I really like this. Um, I'm not you know near the Spider Man fan as our our fourth chair friend here Matt today, but you know I, I do like Spider Man. I, I I like Spider Man movies. You know I I haven't seen a lot of the uh, let's see, is it Garfield? Is that the guy? Andrew who played? Garfield. I haven't seen yeah, any of Spider Man. I haven't yeah, seen Garfield. any of those ones. The animated lasagna loving cat. That's the uh, that's Gar- that's Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I really love this. It was visually fantastic. I think this is when I saw like the the like here's a quick look at the movie at the end of what movie was it that we it was saw Venom. Okay, yeah. at the Venom. end of that, I was like, man, I'm kind of worried about this. I don't know if they just picked the wrong one for that or what, but I was like, I don't know if I like this. And I, you know, the, the little clips that I've seen in trailers and stuff, I was, I was a little bit like, man, I don't know if I love that animation, but going through and sitting through the whole movie, I I really loved it. I I thought it was fantastic. Really cool to see. Um, I loved all the little comic book throw-ins with like inner monologues and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. I, I really had fun with that. I have to say, you know, one of the best things about this movie in my opinion is the soundtrack was phenomenal um Mm -hmm. it kind of reminded me of like how perfectly fitting the black panther soundtrack was the one that kendrick lamar kind of oversaw this one was cool it wasn't like a you know one artist doing the soundtrack with a bunch of features it was like jaden smith post malone you know there was it's on apple music right now i've been yeah i listened to it on the way home last night it's it's a really really great great soundtrack um as far as like non-original score stuff goes so yeah, you know, the soundtrack was great, visually amazing. I really liked all of the different spider people that we got to meet. I thought the characters were cool. One thing that I don't know if people are going to share this thought, but this is probably one of my favorite portrayals of like the Kingpin villain. Um, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. And I think it had to do with the visual. I think this is a, it benefited greatly from the cartoonness. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think this is our first area of disagreement. Yeah. I, I, did, I, I just, did not like this version of the Kingpin. I loved the visual of like this big rectangle, like imposing, 
like evil guy. I, think I question it, the logistics of it, but yeah, go on. Yeah, we don't have to talk about that. The Do- biology doors, is a little off for me. Doors change shape often, but we don't have to worry about that part. Um, but no, I just, I really loved, I, I felt like the, the fact that it was kind of an animated cartoon thing really enhanced like the feeling of kingpin and i don't know why but i I was like thinking about the whole time i was like man i really like this fisk i thought he was really cool and then i just uh the one like thing i'm i think i'm gonna complain about and i feel like i'm probably gonna get hate for this because i know how much you guys love john mulaney is i did not like the like cartoon spider ham thing oh the heart of the movie i i didn't (laughs) It, the humor. What didn't you like about him? The humor for all of his stuff that he it just felt really forced. I don't think I ever laughed at a joke that was supposed to be funny with him. Like the Spider Ham thing just did not land for me. Though I will say that probably my like the funniest line in the movie for me did involve him, and it's when he does like the cheesy like that's all folks, and the other Spider Man goes, "Is that legal? Can he say that?" Yeah. <laughs> I laughed for like fifteen minutes at that, but that wasn't really his joke, so I'm not giving him credit for it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's probably like my one and only complaint is like the the humor for the Spider Ham thing. The every time he was kind of like, "Oh hey, I'm here," it just felt forced to me, and it and it didn't land. But it's not enough to like hurt the overall grade of the movie because it was used so sparingly. And I'm great that they didn't try to like shove it down my throat. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't aggressive. But I don't know. I just it wasn't. It didn't do it for me. And I like Mulaney. I'm not saying I don't like Mulaney. John, listen to me. I do not say that I don't like John Mulaney. Please don't hurt me. But I did not like that character. I don't want to give anything away. But towards the end of the movie, I think the whole like leap of faith transition where the new Spider-Man kind of comes into his own, and we see that kind of little montage of him like learning, you know, kind of fully expressing his new abilities. I thought was one of the coolest like expressions of that transition in a movie I've seen in a very long time. Um, I think it was just expertly done i thought it was cool though things can happen quick in that kind of transition it was one of the times where i was like you know i don't care that he's kind of got it now like i really enjoy this the music was perfect you know him kind of going around the city and being like this is who i am his outfit like everything about that entire like leap of faith transition point was it was i mean it was perfect for me so so we didn't really cover this but yeah part of the plot is that dimensions are colliding and all of these different spider people we kind of mentioned that kind of come in and it's, so yes there's spider him there's the spider noir character voiced by nicholas cage there's a, a spider anime character there's all kinds of these characters coming in and uh, i would say that you know for me I, I definitely really enjoyed this film i thought that it was uh, uh, just a delight the entire way through I actually really enjoyed the way that they wove those characters in the story. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Even even when those characters would come on and do their things, notably Gwen Stacy and the uh, Peter Parker. I think he's Peter, Peter B. Parker. Peter B. Parker. Yeah, yeah. yes. That's it. Uh, one, wonderful characters with lots of pathos and their own backstories that are comedically conveyed. But the story always comes back to Miles Morales. And uh, one of the things I really appreciate about the Miles Morales character is, you know, seeing a character who he, he's, I believe he's black Puerto Rican. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so seeing a character that I share roots with, uh, I kind of had the realization during this film that I don't think I've seen any other Puerto Rican characters in any sort of big blockbuster film in 2018. And so I had a little bit of a moment of, it was very cool to see, you know, somebody on, on the screen that I can relate with in a very different way than I normally do. And so that was very great. And I have to say, you know, I want to turn it over to Will Ashton. I would be hard pressed to find somebody who can tell me convincingly that this is not the best animated film of 2018. 
And I think that you can make an argument that it's up there with Black Panther as the best superhero film. But I would question whether or not this, is, to me, feels... Uh, we were talking about you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs being kind of a moment where it's like, ooh, this kind of changes things, right? Uh, for me, this film sort of changes comic book and animation films and what you can use with those two mediums, what you can produce with those two mediums put together. And it's exciting to see this movie because you see a lot of possibilities for future films, but also taking the the idea of what a comic book is and why people love them and making films out of them that are essential and different in ways that you can't really do with live action films, even though those are good in their own right. So, Will Ashton, what about you? I mean, we're, we're praising this film quite a lot. So where are you at with uh, this new Spider-Man film? Yeah, um, well, like, uh, like Matt, um, I grew up, I think, a big fan of the character of Spider-Man. I didn't read nearly as many comics as Matt has. But, um, yeah, there's just something about Spider-Man that kind of idealizes the nature of the fun of being a superhero. I think the same with Sp- or, um, Superman. There is something, like, just very whimsical and magical about the character of spider-man's like love of being a superhero like just the fact that he has like so much fun and joy and but at the same time this very intense need to be the superhero despite the odds that are presented against him i it i can see why people might be a little tired of all the spider-man movies we've gotten in the last two decades but i can only think of one Spider-Man movie where I was just like, I don't like this at all. Like even the weaker installments <laughs> of the series, I'm like, I, I just have so much fun with this character. I just love him so much. At the same time, though, I don't know. Even with the buzz coming into this film, I wasn't really sure if I was going to be like in love with this movie as much as other people. Maybe just because something about when movies get like very, very hyped, I get really nervous. I guess just because, like, I I don't know if it can possibly live up to those stakes. And if you're, like, the one person who does like the movie, it's kind of terrifying. Uh, but I will say, I mean, even as I get older, I feel, I don't know if you feel this way, John. Like, going to movies doesn't often have, like, the same magic. Like, I'm still a very much a fan of films. But I haven't had that, like, same whimsical factor as often as I get older. Like, there's something that's kind of... The more you go to the movies, the more you kind of you're you're aware of your surroundings. I guess I don't know if you feel this way or not. Like you're aware that you're sitting in a, a theater, watching a projection on a screen, and you're just like, okay, this is a movie. Even if I really like it, I can feel that way. And it's very rare for me to feel like, oh, like I'm in a movie. Like I'm in there as much these days. But I will say, like at least for 90 minutes of this movie, like I was completely the, the theater was gone. Like I was in the movie. I was in it, and it made me, like, honestly feel like a kid again. Like, it made me, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, what it was like to be a big fan of Spider-Man. And I really liked Homecoming as well. But, like, this is, like, okay, this is, like, this is what I like. And the only other time I think I had that feeling this year was, weirdly enough, or fittingly enough, Incredibles 2. Where I was, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, why I loved going to movies as a kid. Like, to see these big expressive action movies and i think that's a credit to the filmmakers who are able to use the animation or use the medium animation in a way that's fun you know it's clear the animators are having a blast even though i can imagine this is a very difficult film to animate just based on the way it's presented and looked but it's clear they have a lot of fun it gets very lighthearted, very bouncy but there is that grounded morality to it that keeps it emotionally you know, resonant. And I think that's quite a balance to not make jarring or anything like that. And I just think it's honestly pretty incredible. Like it's, 
I don't know if I am even like as high as some people are about the film, but I can totally see why this movie is going to be one of the definitive Spider-Man movies of our time. I think it very much will be. I think it's one of the best superhero films in the last decade. And part of the reason for that is because we see a lot of superhero films that don't do much to really tap into that emotion that you're talking about, the making you feel like a kid again beyond you know, there, there are moments that we can point to throughout the Marvel films that have gotten that here and there. Mm-hmm. I think the, uh, the airport scene in Captain America's Civil War is yeah. such a pure moment of heroic joy for those watching. Uh, it's so cathartic. Uh, he might get mad at me, but the only other time I could think of that, besides Incredibles 2, I felt this way, was Captain Underpants. <laughs> I will not get uh, mad at you ever for yeah. loving Captain Underpants. That is a that is a genuine that is that is innocence and full display. But I think there's proof there, like between that Incredibles two and maybe Spider Spider Man to the Spider Verse, that I, there's just something about animation and superheroes that just fits so well. Obviously, because mm-hmm. it is an animated film or medium to begin with. But I just think even like compared to like the live action superhero movies that I love, this like there's something about animation that just makes it click. I don't know. I, I wish I could say it yeah, more aesthetically, but yeah. This was Spider-Man fully realized, like I thought. Well, it, you know, part of that I think is because, so you do still have Peter Parker in this film. One of my favorite mm-hmm. elements of Spider-Verse is that we get the adult Peter Parker, the one who's in his 30s, who's a bit yeah. washed up. Uh, his his Mary Jane, who I think is voiced by Zoe Kravitz in this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we, we see... You know, there's one of the lines in this film really crystallized it for me, where he's like, I saved the world, maybe a little too much. And it, it was one of those things where we were, ex- I, it, it made me realize we're exploring the adult Spider-Man for the first time in cinematic history. It feels like we always seem to get the high school Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. We, we got to go back to when he was in high school with Andrew Garfield. Ah, let's do it again with Tom Holland. Let's and, do it one more time. That's right. And I appreciated so much that that uh, Spider-Verse gave us, you know, a brief version of the adult Spider-Man. Clearly there's an appetite for that because that character is so fresh. This, this reminded me of the Spider-Man from the eighties and nineties from those comics. Yeah. Uh, because that was the Spider-Man that was in those stories. And it's taken a long time for the films to, to give it a chance on that sort of thing. And, and in fact, it made me wonder too, Oh, if only we could have had like the Miles Morales be the live action high school Spider-Man in the more recent films. But obviously they were always going to go with uh, the, the new Peter Parker for the, for the Marvel cinematic universe. And so far that's turned out pretty well. Uh, we don't have to talk about it, but I, I did manage to catch the Spider-Man far from home, you know, reactions to a trailer that none of us are able to see yet. And some of how that story is developing with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays the villain in that film Mysterio. And it just sort of, yeah, I do love Jake Gyllenhaal. So it it excites me that he is going to have a a pretty strong presence in that film. He has a lot to live up to with Michael Keaton, who Mm -hmm. was a wonderful villain as the vulture in homecoming. But all of that to say it, it is, it is kind of fascinating to me. Like you said, Will, there are so many Spider-Man films getting thrown at us, and yet at the end of this one, at that post-credit scene, which we will dare not give away because it is, <laughs> it is absolutely one of the best post-credit scenes we've gotten yeah, ever. Sure. I think, in my opinion, I, I, uh, I found myself 
craving more Spider-Man films. And they did it. That's, that's what a film studio wants. Obviously, obviously uh, the creators behind this wanted us to, to enjoy this. And I think I'm, I have not yet found anybody who really hates this film. Uh, obviously there's some contrarians out there who are just aren't into it, but yeah, definitely it feels like universal acclaim is in the air for this, for this animated film. And it's, it's quite a surprise and I'm, I'm super happy to see it. But let's go into our final thoughts and sum this thing up. Matt Serafini, uh, you've listened to us kind of rave <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, did you have anything else to add to kind of sum up your thoughts on this, uh, maybe in terms of the, the legacy of this film and how you see it playing with wide audiences? It's hitting its wide release this coming weekend. As we speak, people are buying their tickets. We don't know if it's <laughs> going to be a huge success, but maybe it will be. Yeah, I, I'll just say, like, like this movie takes the context of Spider-Man and our greater culture. All the comics, all the memes, all the video games, TV shows, the previous six movies, and all the fans. And they contextualize it all by wrestling that legacy and show what it really, truly means to be Spider-Man. And, like, anyone can wear that mask. And it's it's just such a good message of a movie in so many ways. It's really, like I said, it's really something special. And uh, I hope everybody sees it. I hope it wins the Oscar I love this movie if I haven't made it clear enough. Um, and uh, the the credit sequence, without spoiling it, is a great look into my inner psyche. Uh, <laughs> I, I uh, can see it being your uh, the background of one of your social media profiles for quite a while. <laughs> yep, exactly. There's so much more to say, but just go see it. That's that's my final thing. I think. Go and, see uh, it. What was your final grade? I'll give it. I'm going to give it an A. <laughs> Not even right. an A plus, Matt. Well, I, I, I know A pluses are rare to hand out. You know, I, yeah, for me, it's an A plus. Oh, that's cool. talked him. You upsold him on the A plus. Well, we should work <laughs> at the movie theater. I, guess I do work at the movie theater. That's right. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, you, you want the large popcorn, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maverick Hines, what about your final grade? I, I have to say, you know, I like I said before, I don't have the full sample size of all the Spider-Man movies, but this one, I feel like. You know, in time, might creep its way to my favorite Spider-Man movie list. Um, I'm, I'm really liking it. It's it's an A for me as well. Not an A plus. Sorry, Will. No sell here. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that line from the trailer where, and I think it's in the movie too, where, where the Jake Johnson Spider B Man or Peter B Parker, whatever it is, where he <laughs> Spider <says>, B Man, <laughs> Spider, <laughs> Spider B Man, Lord and Miller, call what me is, up. What does the B stand for? Benjamin. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. there you go, man. I forget what Thank the you. other one was. I think it was Jay or something like that. But um, for the Chris Pine Spider-Man. Uh, but yeah, so I love that line from the trailer where he says, what makes you different makes you Spider-Man. And they, they did find a way to make Miles Morales his own Spider-Man. And they made the story mm-hmm. about how there are so many Spider-Man movies. It's very meta. And that it's obviously so meta. Us. Because that's funny, and that kind of we feel like we're in the hands of people who understand the material, and we're able to like sit back and relax, and you know, take it seriously when we need to take it seriously, but also laugh at it when, or laugh with it, we should say, when it's trying to be funny, and uh, it balances those tones almost pitch perfectly. So, and I, I do want to say too that the, I forgot to mention Catherine Hahn voices one of my favorite villains in this. Now I'm not going to give it away because I think for some people it might constitute as a spoiler. But uh, yeah, the voice cast in this, we should give a lot of props to mm-hmm. some, some really great characters in here. Even some of the plot twists that you see coming in here in terms of like, oh, that character is going to be that character. 
you, you, you can see it coming if, if you're like Matt Serafini and you've read a lot of the comics. <laughs> Actually, you know that caught me off guard. Oh, interesting. It. Yeah, it was a good reveal. All right. Well, we won't get into it, obviously, but uh, yeah. so there you go. Even it, they got one past Matt Serafini, Spider-Man expert. So, uh, yeah. So I have to give this one an A as well. I, I just think that it's uh, it's a quintessential Spider-Man movie and it's a quintessential superhero film. And uh, Will Ashton, close us out. Tell us all about your B minus. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything else to add that I haven't said already, but. There are so many ways this movie could have been like exhausting or tiring just based mm-hmm. on the meta humor, the kind of whiz bang buck animation style, the very like fast paced tone. But I think it's really a credit to the filmmakers that this movie is as consistently engaging as it is while not feeling like completely hearted. It, it's pretty miraculous considering that the film has like so many multi universes and all that, that it is fairly simple at heart. Mm-hmm. in a way that I guess some could see the messages being cheesy. And I think that's kind of a tribute to Spider-Man that even I think there is something that's always going to be kind of cheesy about Spider-Man, but I think the movie is actually able to avoid like some of the pratfalls that have been found in other Spider-Man movies. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I think the only criticism I have is that I was starting to get a little checked out by the end. Uh, and and I, it's not to say that I was like bored. I just was kind of like, okay, I'm, I think this is this is like kind of like I'm starting to realize I'm back in the movie theater again. It, his name is uh, Shaimik Moore, right? The guy yes. who plays Miles Morales from Dope. Yeah, he gives I think honestly one of the best voice acting performances I've seen in a long time. He was really truly tremendous, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. So, for me, uh, I'm going to give it an A minus. All right. Well, that is a an A average for all four of us. Go check it out, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. There's going to be a lot of films coming at you in December, a lot of big blockbusters, uh, including this weekend, but next weekend as well. So uh, I have a feeling Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is going to be our favorite uh, compared to all of those other films. Uh, Don't want to uh, make any reckless predictions, but I think that's probably (laughs) going to be the case. Uh, definitely a good one to take uh, children to since it is animated. But uh, I also do think that adults and superhero fans are going to get a kick out of this. And it's in theaters now. What is that? That is London. 60 minutes is all it took to bring humanity to the very brink of extinction. Mankind mobilized. A new age arose. The age of the great predator cities. Survival of the fastest. All right, so The Mortal Engines. Uh, This one's based on a novel that was written by Philip Reeve, I want to say. Did you read uh, the novel? I've never read the novel. No, have you? Okay. I have not. No, I just wasn't sure. Okay, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people have mentioned that... I think a lot of people have gotten it incorrect that Peter Jackson, of course, the Lord of the Rings director, the Hobbit director, he did not make this film. He was not. He did not direct the Mortal Engines. Mortal Engines was directed by, I believe, one of his. I don't want to call him one of his students, but like one of his right hand men, uh, Christian Rivers. Uh, uh, yeah, I think he's one of his like AD. Yeah, people. done a lot yeah. of work for him in the past, and then yeah, so Peter Jackson had a uh, production credit on this. He was working on something else, I think, while Mortal Engines was being made. I think he was still Hobbit? dealing with Hobbit. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, I forget how recent those films were. No, but I think he was like... Well, I think it was not so much that he was busy 
with the Hobbit movies, but he was just so Probably like checked out, out by those yeah, yeah. that like he decided like I don't like. I want to make another movie, but I just want to make this documentary, which we'll probably talk about in a week or two, called They Shall Not Grow Old, which is a little more kind of uh, mellow. Yeah, which I see Monday. Yeah, I'm hoping to see it Monday as well. But yeah, so he, I don't think it was so much that like the timelines were conflicting, but it was just like, I don't want to do another blockbuster. You can handle this. Yeah, he needed a recovery for sure. He wanted to get it made for sure, but he's like, I can't, like at this point, I cannot like have the energy to direct this. So (laughs) you take it. Uh, I can sort of see probably his burnout nature with this too, because this is yet another post-apocalyptic film based on a uh, a novel that's mostly, I think, geared toward younger readers. I don't know if it's strictly YA, but uh, Mortal Engines is a concept that does feel very sci-fi gimmicky. It is about, I think, a thousand years in the future, you know, thousand years after we destroyed each other in something called the 60-minute war. We used, I think they're just purple gravity nuclear weapons uh, it is a little unclear like why they are worse than nuclear weapons but apparently they were so bad that the entire world got decimated we rebuilt it and uh, as you can imagine we ran out of resources and so big cities like london which is our main location here started to i think they call it municipal darwinism they started to turn retrofit their cities into roving marauding predator cities. And so you can see London rolling down a massive landscape. And then you can see the, the actual landscape itself is covered in tracks. Obviously cities have been going around and what they do is they find smaller cities. They ingest them. They, they put these hooks in them. And we see all of this in the opening sequence, which is I think where the film peaks Honestly, it's a tremendous sequence uh-huh. where uh, the Predator City of London is tracking down this small, tiny blip on the radar. And you can tell they're so desperate for resources, they go all out to get this small little town. And you sort of see that process and why they're doing it. Why? What, what is the thinking behind these Predator Cities and the dilemma they sort of face? Because obviously this is a game that is not going to last forever. Plots ensue. And the mastermind behind the the marauding in this case is played by Hugo Weaving. He plays a character named Valentine. Uh, he's kind of our swashbuckling villain in this case. Mm-hmm. And we have a whole cast of characters, a wide range of characters, far more than I was expecting. It, it really feels like they decided to include a lot of the characters from the books. Normally in adaptations like this, you get the sense that they cut characters out because they just need it's a film. They need to sort of streamline things. That is not the case in Mortal Engines. And I think quite to the film's detriment because there is a lot going on in this and uh, i i know will ashton you're very concerned for me but this unfortunately is a sleeper for me this is a film that put me to sleep in the second act because despite the goodwill from the first once our characters our main characters get on their main adventure the two ones are Hester Shaw, played by Hira Hilmar, and Robert Sheehan plays Tom Natsworthy. Uh, Robert Sheehan, I remember him from Misfits, a wonderful uh, BBC show that came out a few years ago. He was one of the main characters, and he bowed out, I think, in the second or third season. They're our main characters. They go on a crazy adventure that takes them outside of London, inexplicably, I think. And Uh once once we follow the machinations of that plot, I, I found this one quite difficult to get invested in. Uh, it was very hard for me to stay awake. Uh, eventually, the third act shook me out of my complacency and things started to get somewhat interesting again, only for everything to sort of come to a thudding halt by the end of this film. I did not care for Mortal Engines, Will Ashen, if you cannot tell. I think it is a bit of a slog, but uh, what did you think? Well, I am 
rather concerned about your recent narcolepsy, but uh, that's another conversation, I guess, for another time. Uh, but no, I, I think I was more excited for this film than you were, mainly because I am such a big fan of Peter Jackson. I consider him one of my favorite filmmakers. Not so much for Lord of the Rings, but just in general, I think his films are a lot of fun. I think he clearly has a lot of fun making those films, and the only exception I could think of uh, was the Hobbit films, where you could kind of tell that they were dragging on him and he wasn't putting his full heart into it. But right. as it stands, yeah, with Mortal Engines, um, I agree with you what you were saying at the beginning. There, going into this film, there was like a slight chance. I didn't think it was going to happen, but there was that slight chance where it's like, okay, this could be Mad Max Fury Road for like teenagers or for mm-hmm. like PG-13 crowd. And Absolutely. like, I, and I think, and you know, Junkie XL did the score. And they have like that kind of like Tom Waits gargling intro, like in the beginning, the like, same kind of thing. Uh, so I was like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe this is going to be like that really cool type of thing again. But obviously, the the opening's great, and I think it makes a great teaser. But unfortunately, that's like the the big set piece. That's like the main draw. And unfortunately, the film once that ends, I agree with you. It it does kind of tunker out. But um, I think for me though, it wasn't so much the second act that dragged for me. But I just was checked out by the third act um once a certain character leaves i can't give away who but uh it's like that kind of seems like i know it wasn't but it's was like this kind of seems like the climax and it's like oh yeah we got we got to deal with heel go weaving and then that whole scene for me was just like ugh, let this end <laughs> it's just so long and drawn out that for me was like when i if i was gonna fall asleep at any point in the film it would be that point which is the climax which is not good for your big action blockbuster um but no i I don't hate it. I think it's. I think it has a lot of cool stuff going for it, but the story is just crucial here. I don't think it's a bad story, but the way it's written, it's very exposition heavy. Like characters just like, oh, don't you know that exposition, 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 right, right. exposition, exposition, and then yeah, it just very much like uh, like no one talks like the way they would in this world. It it just feels like the movie's pandering to us. And it's, I do like the world building, but as it stands, I don't think it's enough to make a solid film after like the 45 minute mark. So yeah, I'm pretty disappointed by it. The, the world building is pretty great. The costume design, the, yeah. the look of these cities, you actually get the sense that this happened, that they, they sort of lead you to the conclusion that these yeah. cities exist and have like some kind of purpose. And it, it's something to watch. I mean, I, I almost yeah. would recommend the film just on, you know, to film nuts who really want to sort of wonder behind like how these these computer animators were able to put all of this together because it is yeah. pretty fascinating. The problem, I think, of, yeah, go ahead. And I was going to say, it kind of remind me of um, John Perry Jonet films like uh, city of lost children i think it's called or i know he's most famous for anomaly uh anomaly but there's something about that that was like anomaly, i would right? really yeah yeah so i would really love to like just be on the set like a fly in the wall like walk around because i'm sure it looks gorgeous like to walk around it and stuff but yeah unfortunately i just wish the story was better but sorry you were saying yeah no but i think it's uh to to add on to that i think it's the pacing and the editing here uh, it really you really got the sense that it was such a bold and audacious production that they didn't get all the quite all the good transitions and scenes that they needed because there are so many weird cuts and it really does feel like this thing was chopped up because they maybe didn't have quite the material or they weren't able to make something you know they weren't able to use trickery in certain places to make a scene work so what ends up happening is you cut to scenes that don't make a lot of sense there are some transitions that are jarring and what i think uh, to what we were talking about with spider-verse it kind of takes you out and you lose that immersion. You, you're reminded that you're in the theater and that you're watching somebody's handiwork. And that's not where you want to be with a, with a story like this that doesn't have a strong enough script 
to keep you loving the dialogue and, and loving the interactions between these characters. There, there was a moment because we mentioned uh, uh, Robert Sheehan's character, Tom Natsworthy, who I found a very strangely unlikable character. He Which is one? Uh, Tom, the, the, he starts as a historian and he kind of wants to be a pilot. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. okay. So we learned, yes, you've already forgotten. We learned quite a bit about him and in his interactions with Hester Shaw, you're supposed to want her to be invested in him the way that we're supposed to want to invest in him. But he's a very unlikable person. Uh, There's a scene that really crystallizes for me where she, you know, we've, we've, gotten the message that Hester Shaw, she's a survivalist, she'll do anything to survive. And without any sort of thing happening between her and Tom, where she she wants him to be on his own. She doesn't want to have to look out for him. Out of nowhere, she gives him half of her Twinkie. And you're supposed to be like, oh, so there's humanity in this character, and she sees something in him. He doesn't even thank her. He complains yeah. about the Twinkie. Yeah. grumbles about Most, it and eats it and that's the end of the scene and to me that is yeah. an abysmal scene it makes you hate this character and it makes you wonder hmm. why hester shaw is such is so trusting of this uh very unpleasant person it's the most random product placement I've ever seen in the movie, too. <laughs> I think it's a funny Except joke for, to the post-apocalyptic, yeah. like, Twinkies would survive. I think that kind of fits. Well, speaking of uh, yellow um, round or uh, <laughs> oh, figures, I guess... Um, this was there, a universal there, film, so yes. Yeah, there are more minions in this movie than in Illuminations, The Grinch, so <laughs> prepare for that, I guess, accordingly. Right. It's a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing, fortunately, but it, it they play it for laughs, and it's like one of the few scenes where you do get the sense that, yeah, it's supposed to make you laugh. There are a lot of other scenes in here. I don't think they were ever trying to inject much humor into the proceedings, uh, so it's very sure. strange. They're attempts, but they're not good. Yeah, maybe the attempts were so misguided that I didn't even register that they were supposed right. to make me laugh. Um, yeah, and then we didn't really mention much of the supporting cast. You know, the only one that really comes to mind, uh, and so you mentioned one of Strike. them. It's like a yeah, a Terminator esque. Strike. My favorite character film. in the whole movie. Very interesting character. I just I did not like the way that they sort of finished that arc between him and and a couple of the other characters. I thought it was a little unearned honestly but yeah he was miles more interesting to me than uh, a lot of these other characters honestly uh i just the way he's introduced um i don't know if you noticed this but a lot of peter jackson films productions at least you can tell like this like 90 well i 85 percent of special effects are like really good but it's clear there's like one or two scenes that are like uh, Tom, this is like this is game time, crunch time. We got to finish this up. He's like, we're just finishing. We're like, we didn't even start. The, it's like, no, we got to do it now. And that's Shrike's introduction. <laughs> the CG in that scene is so like some of the worst CG I've ever seen in a movie ever. I don't know if you feel that way, but it was pretty uh, pretty terrible. Yes, it was like, oh my, like they approved this. This is like this is in the film. I mean, uh, thankfully it got better a little bit, but I I do like the character. I just wish it's the animation cg for him was even a little bit better yeah i didn't know if we said this was of course stephen lang uh who we i don't think we've seen much we of since, good, uh, yeah yeah we haven't seen much of him since i don't think uh, don't breathe um yeah years ago. yeah uh unfortunate because i think that he he obviously almost can cable. carry better material honestly mm-hmm. yeah he was almost cable yeah that's right uh also there there is a uh a, a pilot character who leads this sort of um anti-traction league i think it's called a resistance group 
Jihai uh, plays this character, and she sort of comes into this. She sort of comes into the second act, and it sort of feels like a breath of fresh air because clearly there's something about her that's going to like really move the plot along. It, it follows some pretty familiar beats of the characters oh, in yeah. trouble, and then a group of misfits kind of takes them in and then propels them to what the third act is going to be. Uh, what was your take on this character? Do you think it kind of, for me? I don't know if it quite fit this world that we were in. So I had trouble kind of enjoying this part of the film and enjoying her group of people and what they offered. Yeah. I thought she was a cool character. I, yeah, like you said though, I feel like if she was maybe introduced earlier into the film or if they've given her like more time, they sort of tease her. Yeah. They drop her name at one point, but that's about it. Right. In a very clunky exposition sort of, Hey, don't forget foreshadowing. Okay. More exposition. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's a cool character. I I thought the performance was good as well, but yeah, I just kind of wish, she was either in a better film or they just gave her more to do because mm-hmm. it was a it was a bit of a bummer just to see a kind of rote character or a, a fairly rote uh, formula for such a cool character. Right. Uh, we've talked about Mortal Engines a bit longer than I think we expected. Before. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I'm surprised we're still talking about this Mortal Engines movie. I'm a, I guess I'm just a little bit fascinated with how this all went down. Uh, I give this one a C plus. I, I'm not quite a C just because I think that Again, world building here really works, and there there is some really great effort in production design that I don't want to dismiss. And you know, it, it like you said, it's not it's not a terrible film. It just yeah, it's gonna you're gonna have a hard time sticking with it all the way through. I think. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you there. I think it's like a lot of really cool pieces, but they don't fit together like a puzzle, and it just doesn't quite work. It's a shame. It doesn't come together as well as it should have. And it's just the basics. Like, I think kind of like similar to how you were saying about uh, Vox Lux uh, mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. It's it just story is crucial. I mean, if you don't have that foundation, no matter how much good is in this elsewhere. And I, I actually, I think I like the performances a little more than you did as far as our two leads. I thought they were pretty good. Um, but yeah, just that, that story is just so by the books, formulaic. And that's not the dismissive book. I can't speak about it one way or the other, but just the way it's presented in this film. Uh, unfortunately, it was written by Peter Jackson and his wife, Fran Wallace. So I do like their script work elsewhere. But yeah, this story, the screenplay just doesn't live up to what is so good about the film elsewhere. And that's a shame. I'm pretty disappointed, truth be told. All right. Well, that is The Mortal Engines. And what was your oh, final C grade? Plus. Yeah, C sorry. Plus C+. Well. All right. It has a 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty low. That's and pretty, I think yeah, it's low. Uh, yeah. It's looking like it's going to flop. It's made $22 million at the box office, but it costs uh, reportedly between 100 and $150 million. So huge yeah. production. And yeah. I think with so many other blockbusters coming out yeah. this week and next week and the week after, I really think this, this film is going to really struggle to find an audience. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, they should have just pushed it back, honestly, to probably the spring, like March or like they April. Did with, uh, yeah, like a lead of Battle Angels. Yeah, I honestly think. And, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I applaud Universal for sticking to their guns and like, we've sick this date and we're going to go. But, but yeah, it seemed like they shot themselves in the foot big time here. My father was a lighthouse keeper. My mother was a queen. But life has a way of bringing people together. Could unite our worlds one day. Check it out. Arthur is talking to the fish. Oh, they made me what I am. Permission to come aboard. All right. Well, I want to hear from you, Will. Uh, 
on another superhero film since we talked about okay. it earlier in <laughs> sure, the show. Yeah. Uh, Aquaman. Uh, you yeah. managed to catch this. I actually am going uh-huh. to watch this right after we do this episode. Oh, uh, nice. So I haven't quite seen it yet, but uh, I'm very curious based on what I've heard. Uh, but what is Aquaman and why should people care about it? Sure. Uh, Aquaman is the DC character. I think he's best known for uh, talking to fish and uh, wearing a yellow leotard. It's a way to put it. Uh, yeah, I... I don't know. There is this kind of reputation with Aquaman where he's like been like a joke for like 20, 30 years. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I that's not to dismiss the character Aquaman. I think he's fine. But there is this kind of mentality of like Aquaman has been like kind of like the dorky goody two-shoe character. And I think DC and their expanded universe that they're making have worked pretty hard to go for the, uh, I guess, newer interpretation of the character where he's, I don't know if this was introduced in the 90s or 2000s. Yeah, it was in the nineties. Um, but they they've also, I think in the two thousands, they did a new fifty two in the comics where yeah, they, they comment on that and they really work hard to make Aquaman much more of a like devastating and you know powerful character who like can just wreak havoc. So yeah, obviously DC is well aware of this reputation. Yeah. But no, yeah, so they have uh kind of made him like he's like long hair, scraggy kind of like a hard-drinking, party-loving Aquaman. And I don't know if the purists are going to be against that. But for me personally, I think it's a fun interpretation of the character. And uh, I think Jason Momoa does a good job with it. I think in other roles, he hasn't really gotten to show his charisma as much. In this role, I think he gets to show it pretty full-on. And I think he's having a lot of fun with the role as well. And you see it, like in, especially in this film, his uh, standalone film, which is very much like uh dc warner brothers looking at thor and just like do that for the fish boy and uh that's kind of how they're going about it but i will say it i think it is benefited enormously by uh jason or sorry james wan being the director here because um i don't know between him and sam raimi i don't know what it is about horror directors or at least genre filmmakers when they come into superhero projects but i just think they work better as far as a live action is concerned uh, they they seem to have like a lot of the pulpiness intact, and I think they kind of are aware of like some things need to be taken seriously, but not everything needs to be taken seriously. And thankfully, this movie avoids some of the, the trappings of recent DC adaptations where they're very dragged down and serious. This is a movie where in the first five minutes, uh, Nicole Kidman eats a goldfish out of a tank, <laughs> uh, and uh, an octopus plays the drums at one point, and uh, Dolph Lundgren is a uh, this kind of i don't even know how to describe his character he is very uh i guess stoic but dressed in a manner that <laughs> is uh um not as much but and yet none yeah. of this made its way to the trailer no it did not unfortunately he is actually pretty good in the film too but um yeah it's, it's very very campy is what i'm saying it's a film that is well aware of how silly it can be and how silly it should be and thankfully i would say for at least like 45 minutes to an hour the film relishes that campiness, even though it's like a 200 plus million dollar production. It has that kind of like campy, silly vibe to it that I found really enjoyable. I, I think for the, the first act of this film, it's a full blast. It's just very, very entertaining. But unfortunately, this is about a 90 minute or 105 minute film that is, I believe, 143 minutes long. Whew. And that's that's I'm, for, I'm sorry. Like, I think even the biggest Aquaman fans are going to be like, that's too much Aquaman for one movie. <laughs> it's weird because I think I think they knew that given the recent state of DC, 
that this might be the only Aquaman movie we're ever going to get. And they're like, just put as much in here. This is our one shot. Let's just go for it. And I can applaud that, but I will say that like after a point, it just got so boggled down and bloated. I apologize for all the water puns I'm going to make, but uh, yeah, it just kind of, it felt overblown in a way that I found myself just kind of exhausted after a point. And that's a shame because um, I was just so enjoying the first half of this film that the second half being kind of dragged down. I was just disappointed that the second half didn't quite live up to the first as far as enjoyment value. But overall, I think it's going to be better than some people anticipate, if maybe not quite as good as it could have been. But as it stands, I think it's pretty fun. It's a nice little surprise for the end of the year. And John, I hope you like it as well. All right. Well, I'll... I'll know pretty soon uh, whether or not I like it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, B minus for me. All right. A B minus for Aquaman. It's better than I was expecting based on some of the production issues and they kept delaying it and it's yeah. Aquaman and you just, you want a superhero like this to have a great movie because it's so different and an underwater world and mm-hmm. all of those things should lead to an exciting and different kind of superhero movie. I'm, I'm a little sorry. It's not closer to, I think, most good superhero films at least can get up to B, B plus, And I think that's when that's the mark of a pretty decent flick, but uh, B minus not bad. So uh, I'll definitely yeah. let you know what I think of this one pretty soon. Before I get into my review of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel season two, I want to hear from you. Will very quickly. You did mm-hmm. manage to see the favorite, which we already talked about last week. Yeah. I don't think you've seen Roma yet, but uh, do you want to tell no. our listeners what you thought of the favorite? Just uh, very quickly. Sure. I liked it quite a bit. Um, I was telling you, it did feel a little bit to me like Yorgos Lanthimos for beginners, in the sense that I feel like if you have liked his other films, or at least have appreciated them, but haven't quite been able to love them for one reason or another, maybe they're a little too dark, a little too dry, a little too... Uh, I Not guess as maybe... good writing-wise, maybe? Oh, that's well, I don't know. I mean... Well, I'll get to that in a bit, but <laughs> I, I I think his writing is actually very good. I just think people don't really appreciate the style in which it's presented. But uh, no, I, I enjoyed the film quite a bit. I would say I didn't like it quite as much as his last two films, which were The Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Lobster. Um, but I did enjoy it quite a bit. I gave it a B plus. And um, but I will say, as good as the script is, I felt like there were certainly jokes in the film where like I think they didn't click quite as well compared to like when he's working on his own scripts where like the humor is very much matched with his directing style. And I think those like jokes hit a lot harder. This film didn't pack the same punch for me. I guess maybe there's also the fact that it wasn't quite as unpredictable as other films can be. Um, I just, I, I don't think it's like full max, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, but I think it's a good beginning for a lot of people if they wanted to check out his stuff. And I think it's going to certainly be more accessible than the killing of a sacred deer, even though I felt that film yeah. was a little stronger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And definitely probably more star power in this case. Yeah, oh, I, and uh, the performances also are all tremendous, especially from um, Olivia Coleman and Emma Stone. Yes. I'm still rooting for Olivia Coleman to win uh, best actress. I think we disagree a little bit. I think she is the lead, but I think you think it's Emma Stone. Well, I mean, there's no traditional lead. And I mean, you could argue that they're all leads, but I think if the film has a lead, it's Emma Stone because she has the arc of uh, the story. 
an argument for another day. <laughs> I do think, though, it, it is funny because obviously, I, if you listen to last week's episode, uh, I liked the favorite a little bit more than you did. It's one of my favorites of the year. And I do think there's a lot to be said about if how much you like the writing of Yorgos Lanthimos that really determines what you think of the favorite because he didn't write this one, but he did mm-hmm. direct it. And I really love yes. his direction style. So uh, it is interesting to see that the favorite, you really can draw lines between who's going to like it more than other people, which is you can't usually boil uh, film subjectivity to a science like that. It still isn't, but uh, it's probably the closest I think uh, you can get to sort of figuring sure. out what you're going to like in this case. But okay, The Favorite, uh, glad you're able to check it out. And then are you going to be able yep. to see Roma anytime soon? It's on Netflix, right? I now. really, really hope so. It's finally playing in theaters near my area. I just got to figure out a time and a date where I can check it out. But it's definitely on my radar for sure. One year ago, my old life ended and my new life began. The greatest star. I want to be successful. I am by far. But I haven't told my friends or my parents. But no one knows. Except my ex. He knows. And you. Ah! We're partners. You're great at what you do. Alone, I am a spittoon. With you, I'm a somebody. Uh, I'm going to talk briefly about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel season two. I talked about season one last year, I think, on this show. I don't remember if I talked about it with you. Yeah, Jumanji. Or Jumanji episode you talked about. Ah, you remember the exact episode. I'm impressed. Uh, That's just because I have uh, thoroughly scavenged our Jumanji episode. If you don't know, Jumanji on YouTube, our episode for that is like insanely high. I think (laughs) way higher than it should be. Has it hit the millions yet? It's it's well past a million. I think it might even be closer to two million by now. Oh, no. I think... (laughs) I just like I have thoroughly investigated this episode. Like, what is it about this one? <laughs> we were just that cracked the mold. We we just did and, something to really click with uh, listeners. I but, guess. But yeah, that's how I remember. It has one point seven million views. Well, there's going to be a new Jumanji film <laughs> next holiday, so hopefully uh, that episode will be just as much of a splash. But oh uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I recommend. Oh, Go ahead. That uh, splash pun. That's the one I didn't get to make in Aquaman. My mini ah yes. Well, we don't know if it's going to have that much. I mean, it is making yeah. a lot of money. Not to sure. overlap a little bit. I think it's already made but, back its budget and hasn't even released. Sure, space. that's good. Yeah. So, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season two. I'm very excited about this. Tell me all about it. <laughs> that's right. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I loved this first season. Uh, this me is too. An, yeah. this is an Amazon Video show. I can't wait for you to see the second season, Will Ashen, because I think it improves upon the first. All of my oh. complaints about the first season where uh, I didn't like some of the meandering with her. Is she going to be a comic? You know, and all of that. The big question in this one, of course, Rachel Brosnahan comes back. The big question for her is, you know, she's more of a struggling comic in the second season. You know, how is she going to break this news to her family? How is she going to be able to juggle being a mother, being a divorcee? being a she has a variety of jobs in the second season and as the second season starts you you, it sort of gets into a rhythm uh where you're like okay this is what the show is now it's her kind of going from club to club her and of course alex borstein comes back uh she plays Susie again and it's really about this show in a lot of ways at its core is about their friendship and i think that's what really makes the second season work if it had to you know clutch onto a uh any sort of dynamic or any sort of point or message i think it is those two characters i think they're the key obviously it's a wonderful cast of characters her parents are continue to be just really the sneak stealth mvps of this show oh yeah um 
as always, they are just impossible not to love. Uh, Marin Hinkle and Tony Shalhoub, of course, play her parents. And uh, Midge, I don't know if you might have said, her, her character's name is Midge Maisel. And, and she, she comes from such an electric family and such a crazy background. And I love that the second season gets into this even more. Um, one thing that I do think people might complain about, and one of the main criticisms I've seen for the show and I kind of understand, is the show's treatment of Joel. Uh, Joel is her ex-husband and the first season he really is a monster of a character does something absolutely reprehensible which kicks off the entire series and in the second season they really really do a deep dive into who he is how he's dealing with you know being divorced and there's a lot of time spent on this character and I can see a lot of people watching the show really hating his scenes and, and hating his involvement in the show and wishing that he wasn't part of it anymore. I'm not quite as decided on how I feel about him. It really goes back and forth. And I, at times I feel like Midge herself where I really wonder I should hate this person, but at times I kind of like him, but I still do not forgive him for the things that he did in the first season. But one of the things that I do credit the show with is that it portrays these characters as people as comedic and over the top as it is. There are like really well-drawn characters here. And even if even the characters you hate, you find yourself sympathizing with from time to time, not always, uh, I think that you're, you're going to have a marvelous time with the season too. And there is a stretch of this season that takes place in the Catskills that is a direct nod to Dirty Dancing. And believe me when I say Willashen, they're four of my favorite episodes of any series ever. Wow. I absolutely love this part of the show. It's hilarious. It's heartwarming. I, I watched a lot of this season on a on a plane uh, in between San Francisco and New York and you know it was a red eye will ashton people are sure. trying to sleep and yeah. here i am cackling in my seat because the show is oh. so funny that i can't contain it uh, i i think it says more about me than it does the show honestly but uh, yeah. yeah this show was made for people like me who love stand up comedy who love the the stories that you can tell in those ways they they do so many great things with characters from the first season lenny bruce has such a great arc in, in this season that really foreshadows uh, a lot of things that happen to the person in real life that I, I absolutely love that they go to dark places. They go to places that uh, you said it kind of before in an earlier review, but you know, plays it seriously when it needs to be serious, but also has some laughs when you need to have some laughs. And I think that, you know, okay. I don't think marvelous Mrs. Maisel is made by a horror director. <laughs> Although uh, okay. I, I forgot to say that uh, one thing I do love about horror directors, which is a bit of an aside is, okay. I think I think that there is there there is this like mentality that like a filmmaker should do horror like when they first start it, it's a great genre to start out in so I think you can find like a lot of like great directors who make things that have nothing to do with horror got their start maybe in a couple of indie projects that were horror based so I just want to put that out there I think that that's uh, if there are any budding filmmakers listening to this show uh, that's my piece of advice I think we've seen a yeah. lot of like great filmmakers come out of that background so if you have a passion for filmmaking make a horror film make get it done and, and do it I, I saw a tweet actually from somebody who was saying something along those lines of if you just yeah. need to make a film make a horror film and uh the rest will kind of fall into place so anyway Some that's sound <laughs> advice from uh renowned filmmaker john negroni about the, yeah. <laughs> who's made no films uh yeah. but has written books which are much easier sure. to do than films <laughs> oh well I, in my opinion I'm, I'm just sort of assuming but anyway yeah, that's, i'm not gonna assume one way or the other about that <laughs> that's the marvelous mrs Maisel season two uh, i hope you check it out soon will ashen i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did yeah i'm very excited to check it out 
All right. Uh, next, uh, Will, you have just a couple of things, and then we're going to call it a show. But uh, sure. what, what's this first one? Is this another Deadpool movie? Are you joking? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, it's uh, Once Upon a Deadpool, which is the PG-13 uh, version of Deadpool 2. We already reviewed Deadpool 2, so I think you know how, John, I feel about that film. Not great. But at, yeah, I, I thought I think I gave it a B- minus at the time. It's acceptable, but I think it's exhausting compared to the first. It just feels a little bit too much for me. Um, but as far as this version is concerned, it's about the same length. They're about a little under two hours each. The only main difference with this is that all the F-bombs are taken out or bleeped. Um, the nudity is taken out. All the sexual talk is uh, dubbed over or ADR'd out or cut out completely. All the blood's taken out, but a lot of the violence is still in there. It's just without the um, blood spots, which uh, is interesting. I'll, I'll get back to that in a little bit. But hmm. yeah, the main difference here is that they had some scenes with Fred Savage where they're kind of poking fun at his uh, scene in The Princess Bride, where he is like kind of kidnapped by Deadpool to hear the story of Deadpool 2 and his pg-13 version and um those scenes they're fine but that's really where i kind of go with this version it's just okay like it doesn't it just feels very kind of nakedly cynical to me in a way that's like well fox is going around like they're kind of pacing around their office like well we can't release alita this is gonna bomb but we have this release date what are we gonna do about it and then they're just like why don't we just uh do deadpool again but we'll take we'll make it pg-13 so it's like a gimmick and we'll make meta jokes about it and they're like that works. Ryan Reynolds, will you do it? And to his credit, he said he'd only do it if they gave a portion of the profits to charity. So part of the the, the profits, if you buy a ticket for the film, they go to uh, the renamed Fudge Cancer. Um, they So if you do see the film, that's something good that comes about it. But as it stands, yeah, there's, I don't really have much to say about it. I'd, I'd give this version of it a C plus just because I found myself pretty bored and exhausted about it. And I think it kind of extenuates a lot of the the problems that I had with Deadpool 2 and made me realize that it's probably a weaker film than I originally gave it credit for and maybe closer to how you felt about it, John. So that's about it as far as where I'm concerned with that or once upon a Deadpool. Okay. I'm sad to hear that. Uh, the big reason why I had no interest in this as well. I think if, because it's PG 13, if you're younger or you want to take uh, somebody who's younger and you don't want to expose them to R rated content, that's considered R-rated by a group of people who are nebulous at best, then uh, I guess this at is best, for you. Yes. Well, actually, I, I tease this, but one last thing about Deadpool. I will say it is a pretty interesting, if you want to look at the dive into like what the MPA considers PG-13 appropriate or R-rated appropriate. I was going to mention that, yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's my last thing about Deadpool. Lucy, you're looking a wee bit puffy at the moment. What? The bags under your eyes are starting to dominate. A town like this tends to lend itself to an overactive imagination. Why are we settling for such blatant banality? I like it. What do you think? I think it's sensational. Join me in starting a new existence within ourselves. Come on, huh? Who's with me? I just love shite. Well, you're lost. I do want to talk about another film, which I have a lot higher opinion on, which is The Party's Just Beginning, which is the uh, directorial debut and screenwriting debut of actress Cara Gillian, who also stars in the film. Uh, this is a passion project. I know she's been wanting to make this, I think, at least for the last couple of years, I believe. Um, it's a film that she's been writing for a while. I know in interviews I've heard her talk about it. And I believe based on her uh, notoriety with Doctor Who and now with the Marvel films and with 
Jumanji, uh, which we mentioned earlier, she is finally able to make this passion projects of her passion project of hers, which is um, it's definitely not I think what some people will expect from Karen Gillian, given that she does a lot of stuff in like sci-fi and fantasy and comedy. This is very much it's it's selling itself as kind of a dark comedy, but it's mostly just a drama about um, this girl who she's 24 living in uh, the heart of Scotland, more of the suburbs of Scotland, actually. And it's coming up on the one year anniversary of her friend committing suicide. And the film is talking a lot about the high rates of suicide in Scotland and how she's kind of dealing with the trauma and coming to terms with what happened. And now that the, this anniversary is coming up, the film bounces a lot between the past and the present and exploring kind of her mental state. And it's very much a character study uh, guided by Karen Gillian. She is in the lead performance as well. Um, and it's, I guess, say, hey, I mean, it's not perfect. I think it definitely has some problems. I think mainly from a screenwriting standpoint, which she, I think, she wrote the film, didn't she? Right. Yeah. Sorry. She wrote the film as well. But as far as the directorial debut is concerned, I think she does a really good job. I think it's a very strong debut, and I also think it's one of her best performances to date. Wow. Um, I think it's clear that she's been sitting on this project for a while in the sense that you can tell she really knows this character. She really uh, understands what she wants to communicate with this character. And I think all the scenes with her work really, really well. And um, I think she has a lot of unique style uh, choices here that I didn't expect as far as her filmmaking is concerned. And it is a very visually appealing film as far as how it's presented. And even though it is very much based on like kind of a dreary, uh, quirky look at Scotland, there is something kind of like melancholy beautiful about the film as far as how it's presented. Um, I think it's more the supporting characters that don't quite work as well as they should. Um, So Lee Pace is also in the film and they have kind of like a neat, cute relationship that feels in my opinion, a little cliched. It's like that whole, like they don't want to give each other their names kind of thing, which it's fine. It's cute, but it's kind of been done before. And there's another character, um, that, uh, so in the film, they have this whole thing where the house, uh, that she lives in, she lives with her parents at the moment. And their phone number is like one number off from like a suicide hotline. So they get like a lot of these like random like callers. And that's kind of leading to the film's dark humor, I suppose. But, uh, it, there's this one person who keeps calling back and they form like kind of like a like this old guy who sounds a lot like Mrs. Doubtfire, which is a little odd <laughs> for me at first, but uh, no, they have, yeah, no, it's really it's like, hello, dear. <laughs> oh, look at that. It's very it, 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 it took me a while to get used to that. But it, it's one of those things where I, I think you've talked about this before, John. It, it's a lot of stuff that's communicated in these scenes is already communicated better, I think, visually in other scenes. And I feel like they kind of like have her explaining her state in a way that's kind of like telling instead of showing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Where, and like, I'm not going to let you get away with mentioning Lee Pace and not noting the, uh, the connection for guardians of the galaxy. Thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's how they, um, yeah, she met Lee Pace working on guardians of the galaxy and that's how they came. Right. Right. She was Nebula. He was yeah. the main villain in that Ronan. Yeah. Um, but I think what might, uh, garner more criticisms than anything else. I'm, I'm apologizing for focusing more on the negative stuff. I didn't mean to, but, um, the, the character of Alistair. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, the character of Alistair, I don't think um, any authority to talk about this, but there has been some criticisms from the LGBT community as far as how the character is portrayed. Um, I would invite you to read more criticism about that from there because I don't, I think they would say a lot better than I would. But 
Um, it, I, I can say that I can certainly understand why they're critical of the character. I don't think the way that the character is presented in the film is as effectively told as it could be. That's probably not the best way to say it, but I, there's definitely valid criticisms to be made about the character. And I'm kind of walking eggshells there because it's a little bit spoilery as far as what I'm talking about. But um, as a stands, though, I think as a film, especially as a director debut, um, very solid. I really enjoyed it. It's funny. It's sad. It's very personal and heartfelt. Uh, you can feel the energy and life in this film that Karen Gillian is giving in. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where she is going to go next as a filmmaker. Speaking um, on an earlier point that you were talking about, John. Her next film is reportedly going to be a horror film, and uh, as far as the director directing career is concerned, mm. and um, I will say, like the way she uses sound, also as a film, especially one scene in particular involving a hanging, uh, not related to the um, main suicide of the film, is really, really effective, and um, it just shows, like, oh yeah, she definitely knows what she's doing here, and I'm really excited to see where she blooms as a filmmaker, and so I gave it a B. I was between a B minus and a B, but I think. The, the strong suits the film really worked out and there's a lot in here that connected to me on a personal level that uh was affecting so i would definitely recommend it are people going to be able to check this out in theaters or yeah it- um well it's in theaters now and it's also available i believe it's now available on vod as well right so this is so, orchard um, so yeah I, this this very much feels to me like a, a film that i'll probably be watching uh, while I cook breakfast or something like that, like that mm. kind of indie feel. My only question is... Might be a sad breakfast. <laughs> yes. Well, I do. I like to have sad breakfast. Uh, uh. Um, I've watched a lot of sad indie films while preparing meals. Uh, but Will Ashton, for this for this film, do they explain why it used to be called Tupperware Party? Because that was the original t- name, wasn't it? Yeah. I was trying to remember what the original title was. Um, kind of? There is a Tupperware Party party i don't know why that would be i mean like kind of makes sense i guess but who are we uh, to question the uh, the creative decisions behind the naming of this film i guess no i mean i i, I could see that being intentionally uh misconstruing i guess yeah uh it's like something her her mom puts on at one point but it's closer towards the end of the film so i can't really talk about it too much but uh yeah i i, I don't think that title would have fit quite as well well, that is Party's Just Beginning. Like you said, it is in theaters now, and it sounds like it's uh, worth seeking out if you're looking yeah, for a sad indie film. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, if you're a fan of hers, definitely. Um, I also think if you're looking for a good film for 52 films by women, it's definitely worth checking out. I know I'm Sam sorry. Nolan actually checked this, out, this film out as well recently. He had a lot of high praise to give it as well. So Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Next week, we are going to be talking about Aquaman in more detail. We're also going to be talking about Bumblebee. The current plan is because Mary Poppins Returns is also going to be coming out. Uh, we're hoping to do a special bonus episode of the show that just covers Mary Poppins Returns. We know there are a lot of films coming, and we're not exactly sure which ones you want to hear the most. So we're going to try to do all of them. Maybe even Welcome to Marwin, which is also hitting its release. And uh, Second Act, American Renegades, All True and Wait, Cold War are other films coming out, but I don't think we're going to find time for them. Isn't Marwin coming out on Christmas? Uh, Marwin has a limited release uh, on the 21st. So we might actually uh, wait until the 25th because it is going to have a, uh, a bigger one. But it's going to open in the U.S., yeah, on the 21st. I see. So, yeah, that that is everything that's on our radar for the next week. 
But uh, I think that'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Uh, don't forget, you can find uh, all of the links to our social pages. You can email us. Uh, our email, everything is in our show notes. Uh, you can email us anytime at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave us a review on the podcast directory of your choice to help support the show. And go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash cinemaholics to become a, uh, to become a supporter and to uh, enter our holiday giveaway. With that, from the Internet California, I am John Agroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. From Maverick Hines and Matt Serafini, we'll see you next time.